Hi, and welcome to episode 0, in which Tamale Fenta and I discuss linguistics and second language acquisition, live on Twitter Spaces. Bobo, it's 6 o'clock. Yes, it is. Well, Let's not go. really. Let's go. Also, I'm going to unapologetically eat my eggs. Absolutely, go ahead. I I honestly think the more chaotic, the better. Just I brings a brings a more personable nature to the to the whole conversation. Who wants to listen to linguistics for hours on end, right? Exactly. I certainly don't, and yet I have like intentions of going to grad school. Exactly. But then you could also be like an inflamed god eating eggs into a microphone. I think that that's worth something as well. I love it. Coffee and the eggs. I just need some onions on the DJ microbeads, but I don't have onions. I have cabbage, though. So I can Good. I shall wage a war against onions, I think. But bread? Add some bread to the coffee egg. Oh, fried bananas. Heard, heard they're good from someone. I, yeah. <laughs> I also don't have any bread. I do have rice. I might microwave some rice, so we'll see about that. Okay. That will right. Yes. Feel free to to direct message me. You can tweet me as well. That's fine too. Um, but yeah, if you have something you'd like to ask, put it there, and I'll see if I can get around to asking it. That we we there. do have well, a listener. Exactly. I think this is be a great conversation. I've I've sort of been having this actually, where I've just had some really um, compelling conversations with with either friends or acquaintances, and I think it's good also just because I think there's this thing that happens during conversations where um, it's certainly an aspect of listening better, but. I think our brains are so busy trying to like interpret the input that we're getting um, and trying to respect like um, trying to prepare a respectable response that some part of it is not listened to to all of the content I notice when I sort of like um, clip some audio or like some footage if I'm playing a game with some friends and I listen back there's always like a million things I hear them say that I'm like I was there and I don't remember this so I think it'll be great just to go and reflect back on. Maybe I've missed something good for posterity's sake. And yeah. uh, I think it, it doesn't matter, you know, I'd like to put this somewhere. Someone might find it interesting. I did have some people who I shared th- this, that this was going to happen. And they said they were very interested, but purely because of timing, um, they wouldn't be able to make it. So I think it would be good nonetheless. So... If you're still busy with eggs, I think we could maybe jump I'm straight still busy in. With eggs, but uh, let's jump straight in. Right. I, I, if I have a mouthful of eggs, well, then I have a mouthful of eggs. Perfectly fine. I mean, is is implied is applied linguistics not supposed to deal with real world circumstances? So talking talking 
you know, meals bring us around like a central place to just talk with each other. Um, that involves people eating at the same time. I think this is a good case study for, for real applications. Okay. <sighs> All right. Do you want to give us just like a little bit of background that you feel comfortable with? Um, just in case anyone is listening for, for context. I know you've given me some, so I can, I can work with that if you want to skip. Yeah, sure. Um, are you interested in like my second language learning background of like the languages I've learned or my work teaching um, second language? Can I, can I ask for a little bit of, a little bit of all of them? Yeah, sure. So my first language is English. That's the language I grew up speaking at home. However, because of my heritage and where I lived, I was being exposed to Spanish and Japanese by age six. I lived in Ireland for a few years of primary school, and I learned Irish in school there. I learned enough that I could read and pronounce Irish like on signs or whatever, um, printed Irish was just fine, but I didn't understand what I was reading. Uh, while I was in Ireland, I forgot my Spanish, but the Japanese exposure continued. Uh, the Japanese was my heritage. And after I left Ireland, I forgot almost all the Irish. I could still say a few phrases and a few words. In school, several years later, I did start learning Spanish again, and everything that I'd forgotten came back really quickly. A few classmates did ask if I was a native speaker. Then later, my high school had a program with the Ministry of Education in Spain, and it's called the International Spanish Academy, and I applied for that program, and I was accepted. This was regular old public school, but we were competitive like that. And so then I got a high school diploma from Spain, like, not a lot of people can say that. In my last year of high school, I took two semesters of French at a local university because I knew English and Spanish. Uh, French came very easily to me, except for pronunciation, and I largely credit that to I didn't have French exposure early on. I also had some snow days during which I taught myself Cyrillic to start learning Russian because that's what normal teenagers do when they have snow days. <laughs> Um, because I, and then later in university, um, I wanted to study Russian, and I could, just couldn't schedule it right. I just wasn't going to work out that I could take the first semester of elementary Russian. But I knew the department head, and I knew the like and I had a lot of good dip energy. And I was like, I want to take Russian, but I can't take first semester Russian. How about I just drop into second semester Russian? And the department head was like, do it. And I'm like, that's right. Um, so I certainly didn't know all the content of first semester Russian. Didn't know the grammar, vocabulary, but that like me for a look. But I caught up to my classmates really quickly. How to do it? Um, since moving to Japan, I self-studied a lot of written Japanese, which helps a lot with vocabulary. In terms of my abilities for Japanese, I impress everyone I meet. I still feel like a noob. I still am a noob, but that's fine. Um, I'd say I'm doing pretty well for myself because the pandemic and everything going on, I can't you know, talk to people. Um, with regard to teaching English as a second language, so I've only taught English as a second language. Um, I did a little bit of Spanish before, but I wouldn't call that teaching it or anything. 
Um, I've taught English to Hispanic adults. And um, in Japan, at my job last year, I was in private for-profit education. I was doing a lot of test prep um, kind of work because Japan loves its tests. Um, but I was teaching an age range of two to 72, so toddlers to retirees. And then now this year I left for-profit education. I now work in public schools. I'm assigned to a city's board of education to support their English curriculum. So I go to six schools, including two elementary schools and one junior high school. And the other three schools are kindergartens where I'm an occasional specialist. Just, uh, you said like Japan loves their test. You said Hispanic speakers. This was for a Spanish program whilst in Japan? Did I catch that correct? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, this, I was teaching um, Hispanic adults um, before I moved to Japan. Ah, I see, I see. Right. It was a community program that I was involved in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you've... I kind of want to get into um, into maybe your teaching methods, because I think that was like the intro point. But before we do so, um, you mentioned that you had you did your undergraduate degree, so which is like a bachelor's degree, if I'm correct. Um, and whilst doing that, you did your independent study on like translation theory. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you were looking into at that point? Because I feel like translation is, I think widely maybe mistaken for what exactly goes into translation um, and overlooked by the general populace, um, so I think I think it's pretty fascinating to get some sort of insight on that. Yeah, that is why I did an independent study on it. So, um, quick bit of background on that independent study. Um, I did an independent study not as a research thing. It was just a course that I created and I was the only student in the course and I had my advisor for that course, like just, you know, professor or whatever. It was not so much a, like, this is a research thing. But I did it as a prelude toward my capstone project. With that being said, so... My university, um, they launched a new department major called World Languages and Cultures, and then you would concentrate in a, in a certain area, and they had a concentration called Translator Concentration, which was a bit of a misnomer, because it was more so just like, you study a bunch of languages, and you know, you do your best with that, and actually I looked yesterday, they don't even have the major anymore, and I think that might be because I in part because I raised some issues with it, and, but whatever. I did the major because I wanted to, and I saw it sound really cool. And with the translator concentration, you put five courses above the elementary level toward a primary language that you study, two courses toward another language as a secondary language, and those can include the elementary level, and then you have two elective language courses that you just put toward any language in the department. They can be one of your existing languages, you can do a third language, you can do a third and fourth language, you know, whatever. But you should take a bunch of language courses. So you're not necessarily majoring in a specific language and its literatures. And I really wanted this because I didn't 
care about literature. I still don't. Um, my interest, <laughs> yeah, my interest was more so like the sciencey side of it all. Like, um, I'd worked as an interpreter before. Um, since um, graduating, I have done freelance translation, or no, not since graduating. I did that while I was still an undergrad, whatever. Um, but my interest was always. Um, more so on the linguistic side of things. We just didn't have a linguistics program. And then for this major, your capstone project was to translate a body of work for your primary language. And the thing it, about Into this, your primary language oh, from yeah, another uh, language. So, uh, your primary language of study. So if your primary language of study is Spanish, which is what mine was, then um, you translate a body of work from Spanish to English. Right, okay. Okay. And the thing, though, is that there's a whole art and process to translation. Just because you know a language does not necessarily qualify you to translate. Mm. Like, by the time I'd gotten to university, I knew enough Spanish that, like, I had the tools like the hard basic tools to translate but there are a lot of softer tools like soft skills per se you know use some woo word or whatever mm -hmm, that yeah. i didn't have um like yeah what are some of those yeah because because so, i've heard like, i've heard a little bit about them but um I, I, my idea is also just about like you know taking the the context of it or like the heart of what's supposed to be portrayed or uh authorial intent but um, I think there's probably a lot more to it. Yeah. So, have you ever heard about the guy? Like, I have, maybe last year he won a French Scrabble tournament. He was from New Zealand. His first language was not French, but he won a French Scrabble tournament because he memorized a French dictionary. I think I have. I think I did see that story. Okay. So, just because the man memorized a French dictionary, that does not qualify him at all to translate English French. Right. Um, like, so yeah, you, so I knew the words and I knew there's a difference in syntax. So, English, for example, does subject, verb, object. Mm -hmm. I eat the apple. Um, whereas other languages, they might change the order of subject, verb, and object. It might go subject, object, verb. I, the apple, eat kind of thing um that goes to translation and Hello. you have to understand like the author's background it's really good to do some background research and understanding on the author of the body of work that you're translating kind of thing and then there will be idioms and other things that you know you might just have issues with translating so like there's a whole art to translation and a lot of people conflate translation and interpretation. So translation is written work exclusively, whereas interpretation is spoken. It's purely oral skills, and it's usually done in real time, whereas translation, you, know, you can take it home and work on it slowly or whatever. Oh, Radiant Monarch dropped. Okay, hold on, I'll fix you. I'm glad I started looking at my phone at that moment. Okay, so I'll continue now. I hope you can get back in. Um, send me a message if you can't. Um, mm. 
so translation and interpretation are two things. The other thing is localization that's related to this. And localization tends to be like, let's like a common one is um, some. Hello. They have to hire people to make it culturally appropriate for other audiences, like beyond just translating it. So, you know, they have to put jokes and whatever in puns for the translated audiences. And often those jokes and puns will change and be different. Um, a great example is Pokemon. Um, right, like all the, names all the names are references to some sort of thing, right? Exactly. And none of those, like a lot of those are not direct translations, mm-hmm. but there's still plenty of puns and whatever. So for me, I did an independent study on translation theory because I knew that I was not prepared to translate. Um, how does one? I, how do you feel like you? Because yeah. you mentioned like a bunch of soft skills, right? Are these soft skills laid out somewhere for people who are are trying to become translators, or or do you sort of have to like figure them out as you as you work in the field of like what? You know, since soft skills already are sometimes unteachable in certain ways, or maybe even not given focus the way, like, I don't know, communication might be, um, is this something left almost as, like, an exercise for the student? Or or is, is, is that actually... Is there a pathway for that? Um, definitely. So the book I used... I found a, a textbook for this called Introduction to Spanish Translation by Jack Child. And I worked through this book. And I also, um, through this independent study, I was translating news articles every week. And I was giving those to my advisor for checking. And the book mentions a lot of those soft skills. But like you said, you cannot just teach them. But I think if you're aware of something, then you can start to learn about it. And you can start to piece it together kind of thing. Right. And I definitely made a lot of progress through that. Could you give some examples of, of some that... Mm, I'm not really sure I can. Okay. I mean, that's fair. Oh. Like, <laughs> I'm not really sure I can. Uh, definitely, like, a lot of things I missed were, like, idioms. Right. I missed. Um, but is that more just, like, oh, be aware of idioms, or, like, you have to still learn the like, context? Yeah, you can start to learn idioms. Like, I'm sure there are a list of idioms. Yeah. But another one I missed a lot of was um, regionalisms. was something I missed a lot of. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, something that'll mean one thing in one place will mean something, a different thing in another place. Like, it's the difference of, like, British versus American yeah. English. Um, the back of the car in British English is the boots, whereas American English, it's the trunk. Right. Um, that mechanical thing that, transfer, that transports people and things between floors of a building in... American English is the elevator, but in British English is the lift. Mm-hmm. Um, just things like that were also stuff that I would miss. And a lot of that, you can prevent missing that um, by being aware of the author's background. Right. So when you're working with something like Spanish, is it is it that um, a work takes the preference of, let's say, the author is Colombian, but it might be published in other Spanish locales? Is it changed for the market that it's going to be introduced to or is it still working off where the author originated from 
Um, so long as it's still within the same language, generally speaking, no, they won't change it. At most, they might provide like an appendix or something to like make people aware of certain regionalisms. Mm-hmm. But no, they won't translate Spanish to Spanish. Do you feel like there's a difference in those regionalisms in the languages you've worked with? I mean, Russian is also spoken in like the old CIS countries as well. Um, and as a second language, maybe in the Baltic states or something like that. Spanish, of course, you know, spans continents. Um, I feel like English, even though English has this really widespread as well, and sometimes pretty drastic differences, even beyond the, the like, US-UK uh, split. Because if you take someone from Scotland and someone from Cornwall and Wales, like, they already have pretty radically different accents, as would someone who speaks, I don't know, AAVE or, you know, either coast of the US, Australia, Ireland, like, there's a lot of places that are speaking English, but regionalism seem, I don't know, discussed quite a lot, or English media seems pretty, um, it, it seems, like, consumed by people regardless of where they are like you'll find people watching australian youtubers british tv shows would be popular in the u.s but then i talk to spanish speakers about stuff and it seems like um i mean there's a pretty big european uh south american or central american split but maybe even within south and central america where people are really just sort of sticking to media from their own location so I don't know, do you, do you feel like there's a difference just in the way regionalisms are, are known between the population of the same language in, in different languages like Russian or Spanish or, or English? Um, I have the greatest amount of awareness with Spanish. Um, and I do, yeah, I have seen that definitely for sure. People do stand, tend to stick like, with their locale, but I wouldn't say that to the Spanish-speaking world, uh, like, there are plenty of Americans that will, like, only watch American TV and never watch British or Australian TV or YouTubers. Typically, like, it's often, like, the more cosmopolitan-minded people that will watch media from other countries. And in my experience, the people I've talked to um, that were native Spanish speakers, and they did um, have, um, I would say, greater awareness of other types of Spanish regionalisms, they were often um, more cosmopolitan-minded themselves. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting, because I, um, I was once speaking with someone who uh, who had come as an exchange to our university, and they, were, they worked alongside me um, developing some game, and um, on the side, they had also done a bunch of translation work, and they seemed interested in that as well. Um, and, and they were Spanish from, um, I believe, Valencia in in Spain, and and there, like, they were telling me about having to translate or localize work for some firm in, and I think they were dealing with Mexico at the time, but but I could be wrong on that one. Um, and she was just telling me kind of about like regionalisms as well and that and this person is young and cosmopolitan comes out of a pretty big city um 
you know, is the type of person who is traveling to other countries for exchange programs and whatnot. Um, but yeah, her experience was was kind of the inverse. That like there were these regionalisms which were sort of just like impenetrable, and that they needed to be um, localized significantly. Where I think with English, you know, like if there's a book or a movie or a game or something that that actually has language packs or or different audio files or subtitles, I don't think there's ever really English localization that drastically changes. Maybe maybe certain novels have like a British and English version that just revamps a couple words and some spelling here and there. Um, but I don't think anything... Like, I don't think if you had to give either an American or a Brit like the published novel from the other country, they would have a hard time like understanding anything that went on. Um, so it's just my, my sort of idea that Spanish was was quite separated between regions whereas I've heard from a lot of Russian speakers they all sort of tell me the same story and maybe this is um, anecdotal but they all mention about like accent diversity in Russia being pretty low and that it you can come from quite a lot of different places in Russia and the accent diversity um, or is just you know, not so strong, um, which is maybe a product of of Soviet era um, work partitioning or labor partitioning. Um, so I don't know about like other countries that still use Russian, uh, like its neighboring countries, whether whether maybe it was like the inverse of Spanish, where you could just sort of like understand everything. Um, but yeah. I, I don't know if you have any experience in, in either of those. Yeah, um, let's see. The people I've talked to that speak Russian but are not from Russia, these are people I've met in real life. I have met people on Twitter. Um, no, I'll just include everyone. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Twitter, Twitter users are real people too, mostly. Yeah, 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 mostly. Um, okay, so I met some Ukrainians and they're like yeah no like Ukrainian Russian like we all just speak Russian like yeah we, we speak Ukrainian too but you know, yeah, Ukrainian uh, Russian, yeah I've kind of heard it like it's from the the more hardline proud Ukrainians yeah. that that there's a difference right and I've also um, met some people from Kyrgyzstan and um, they more so told me that it was the educated populations that spoke Russian mm. um, it's not like in like educated but like most people would speak Russian kind of thing mm-hmm. um, like it's like Russian was the language of commerce kind of thing yeah, was the yeah. feel I got from it I think I've heard that like, too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so like they of course had the indigenous language languages but they all spoke Russian um, another lady I met was from Uzbekistan, um, and actually, I never heard her mention speaking Uzbek. Um, all, as far as I know, she just spoke Russian and English, so I'm not really sure what her background was there. Um, and then, otherwise, I've um, talked to some Europeans um, from eastern europe and they learned russian in school or whatever 
Yeah. No, I, I think that's I think it's actually pretty interesting what's happening in certain countries. Like and I'm speaking with some old knowledge here, so maybe I'm incorrect in this. But as far as I can imagine, I think that with uh in Kazakhstan they were speaking Kazakh and then Russian was often like used along or like alongside it but like sort of in higher layers or or they were trying to like push between it and there was this whole fight and then in Kyrgyzstan there was sort of the inverse where like uh, Kyrgyz was kind of being like um, I wouldn't say stomped out maybe but um, there was just less drive for people to use it and Russian was really being promoted and then I think I think there's maybe even political movements which were like sort of taking sides based on the language and whether to rekindle it or not um, and I think it's it's pretty fascinating. Not to mention something like Tajikistan, which, uh, interestingly enough, speaks a dialect of Persian and yet writes it with Cyrillic. Um, and there's been this whole like back and forward between writing it in the Latin script and then in the Arabic script and then into the Cyrillic script and then asking it to go back into the Latin script again and then Iran inserting influence to put it into the Arabic script and just like this constant circle of like what do we update our language script to based on who the the regional power is I think it was Kazakhstan a couple years ago their um, leader was like you know what we're not using Cyrillic anymore we're going to use the Roman alphabet and for all the um, sounds of Kazakh that you know don't have Roman characters for which Cyrillic does We'll just use apostrophes. And that just made it look terrible. There was so much backlash. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the case with the Latin alphabet. Like, it's just slapped on so many different languages from such a diverse array. And they just have to, like, augment it in some fashion. Um, Something like Vietnamese would probably be a standout here. Um, And... I don't know, I just find it... <laughs> I find it quite funny. Um, the really interesting one I saw was... It was Russian written in the Roman alphabet, but if you were going to write everything as though it were in Irish, like Irish spellings. And that actually oh, made wow. sense. It made sense. And I was like, wow, Galaxy, great idea right here. <laughs> so, I haven't had much experience with Irish Gaelic, but my stepdad is Scottish, and recently, well, I say recently, probably around two years ago, him and my mother moved to Scotland. And so I've gone to visit them a few times. And they live up in the Highlands, which is sort of like a stronghold for um, for Gaelic. And so a lot of the road signs and stuff are bilingual. And there are some just absolutely great things going on in that situation there, because you have... Um, there's no really formalized or standardized spelling for Scottish Gaelic. Um, there are like institutions which have their formalized version, but there's no like national consensus. So you'll have the situation where there's like a, a shopping center, right? And it's got a big sort of um, loop driveway. So you, you drive in and you would go either left or right to two sort of like different buildings. And there are these big stands which have like a list of all the different shops that would be there. And at the top is a sign saying welcome, but in Gaelic. And there was one of these 
four if you're driving left and one if you're driving right. But they are both spelling the word welcome in different ways, and they have an accent. Like, one has a an acute accent, and the other has a grave accent. Um, and I think they apply it onto a different letter, but they're the exact same word, huge and highlighted right next to each other, and they do not conform to the same spelling. Um, and then there's just other things as well, like you've got, you know, all the silent letters, D-H, B-H, which take place of like making, let's say, a V or a B or a silent letter. And I think there's like modifiers where they're, and don't quote me on this, maybe your Irish knowledge can back it up, but it's something like whether it's next to a long vowel or a short vowel or a hard consonant or a soft consonant modifies this diagram, which is already a modification of a sound. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on in this spelling. Maybe it's really clever because I just, you know, don't know the system, but it seems like it's this multi-layered sort of like apostrophe, apostrophe, or like, um, like a, an asterisk and then another asterisk for like, you got to modify this and then change this if it's here. So I don't know. It seems like it could be simpler because I feel like there's also letters that are just not being used, but um, I'd be very curious to see how they would then use a system like that for Russian in the Latin alphabet. I saw it on Reddit. I'll see if I can find it later and send you a link. Oh, perfect. That would be great. <laughs> I feel like there's some really... I don't know. I know they're mostly Dunn's jokes, but people who are just taking these systems like, you know, one script and then applying it through some other filter to, like... You know, sometimes it's it is just a joke, just because like how how terrible could we possibly make this? But sometimes it, it yields some pretty interesting results, and I think it just says something to like the malleability of language anyway. That you know, speech diverges all the time based on accent and gets rapidly updated. I mean, down to the point of like decades and half decades, and there are like like in the Netherlands, there's a this thing called like the is it the book something like that it's like a version of the dictionary but it gets sort of like a yearly update for like words that have been changed um and there's like one word that notoriously just goes back and forth on spelling because there's like a letter combination that most people don't pronounce and there's this debate between whether you should write it with the letter as it was spelled or write it without the letter as most people pronounce it um which just gets like, it just seems like, you know, Wikipedia edit wars where people are like going back and forth on it. But it's like the standardized language of what, three countries? I mean, I don't know if Suriname and Belgium adhere to the Dutch diction like standard, but at least take influence out from it. Um, yeah, and things can just change. Like scripts can just change around. The president can just announce, hey, you know, like, for my particular reason, we're doing this, and it it changes. And I think it's really interesting when people complain about that happening. Um, as a personal example, yeah, like, as a personal example, my mother often complains about, like, some new change to the language, but then she's, you know, regularly using stuff that I'm like, I don't, you know... Was my grandmother speaking in this way? I don't think so. Like, this change happened before you were born, and you're totally okay with it. You just use it all the time. But then there's a change after you have become, like, aware of the language, and it's now, like, unacceptable. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's very humorous to to observe. Yeah, on topic of like writing things in another script. So at my job last year, whenever I was sitting in meetings that I didn't want to be in, I would write notes to myself about how much I didn't want to be in that meeting, but I would write them in Spanish in Cyrillic, so that Ooh, no one else could read them. Perfect. I like that. I was do. I was actually had this as well. I have a notebook, and oftentimes I write down. Um, certain headers i mean my notebook already i think is pretty indecipherable to anyone half half of the writing is actually just little like scribbles and and diagrams of but i never diagram something fully like if i draw it out fully i feel like i've lost the thought like it has to be vague enough to maintain that dreamlike quality um but I would write down little notes and then I'd do it either in English or perhaps in Dutch, but I'd write it with the Arabic script, like the Perso Arabic script, because I was just learning it at the time. And at the same time, I was just messing around with like improving my left-handed writing. So it's in the wrong hand, in like a wrong language, in a wrong script, surrounded by diagrams. And I'm like, maybe someone needs to root through this for some information, but I don't think they're going to find it that easily. As a fun, as a fun little um, aside. Oh, I'll get to a question. Um, but as a as a fun little side, while we while we on this note, let me touch one last thing. Fun fact: Afrikaans, right? So the old language of Dutch spoken in South Africa. Because Dutch settlers brought over um, a lot of slaves from Malaysia, there there was like a large, like most of them were uh, Muslim. All the Muslim, or like the imams, and uh, when they would set up mosques and madrasas in Cape Town, would like they they're the only writing system that they knew was uh, Jiwa, I think it was the Arabic script for writing Bahasa Indonesia or Bahasa Malayu, um, and they would then use that to write Afrikaans. And there are a number of published books written in this daughter language of Dutch that was very in flux, undergoing evolution before a standardized version of it had been put out, written in the Arabic script, and that makes it the only Germanic language to have been written in the Arabic script for any significant period of time, like beyond one one note or like one, you know, found document. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's just this weird confluence of, like, time and place and religion all just sort of colliding at once to make something that you really wouldn't think would adopt uh, the Arabic script to to be written for, like, this Germanic evolving language, which I think is really cool. Um, but speaking, speaking of, of languages and differences, um, you have some thoughts, TM, I believe on foreign language education policy. Um, yes, I have a lot of thoughts. And you've lived in a bunch of different places. So if you have insight on... I mean, specifically maybe the US and Japan, because I feel like those probably are the places you would speak on the most. Maybe some of the other countries, if that's relevant. Um, I did... Ex- I am aware a little bit of Irish foreign education policy but oh yeah but that's probably interesting as well because I mean I don't know if Irish is being included in foreign edu- like foreign language quote unquote I guess it's non-English but um, I guess second language policy then maybe yeah 
Okay. But I'll I'll just word vomit about policy. How about that? Sure. I mean, there are some interesting points to touch on here, right? Like, I mean, the U.S. is a pretty pretty notorious for being monolingual, um, whereas the EU often prides itself on being multilingual, which you know maybe there are some interesting things to discuss there because I don't know if that's always to I don't know I don't think that's always the way they uh, are portraying themselves to be um, yeah yeah um, but you have hot so, opinions so just fire them some of them up yeah. I'm like biting my tongue here so I don't start going go ahead alright um, the United States has the world's largest economy and Japan has the third largest economy in the world and countries with good economies, they don't need to learn other languages. They, they don't, it's like, it's not necessary for like their children's teachers to learn another language. Right. Or in Japan. They're trying to make it better. They've just rolled out a new round of curriculum this year, but English education is poor in Japan. But Japan is a good economy. And the thing is, like, if you have a good economy, you're not going to bow down to others. You're going to expect them to rise to your level. Any questions so far? Ah, uh, did you cut out again? Ah! Hold on, I'm fixing you. I invited you to speak. Please accept the invitation, if you can. Speak, mm. Radiant Monarch, speak. Hello. 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 Okay, hi. Spaces, it just works. Yes. Okay. So last I heard you, Japan, US had large economies, and I can kind of imagine where this was headed. But if you could do a quick wrap up of the main point. Quick wrap up of the main point. I'll just reiterate what I said. Yes. If you have a good economy, then you're not going to bow down to others. You're going to expect them to rise up to your level. Right. Understandable. Okay. So that is why I think language education is so poor, or language education is so poor in the United States and Japan. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the policy is like in a place like China? Also, I would imagine it would have a similar, um, similar bent, right? Yeah, so China has the second largest economy. And China is obviously trying to rival the United States. Um, I won't even get into China geopolitics. Yeah, I think that's a little uh, bit out of scope. <laughs> partly because I don't know enough about it, too. That doesn't stop people on having opinions. That I try to only opine on things that I know about. And Respectful. Thank you. But I know someone who was working in China last year, she was an employee of the government, she's Canadian, and she was teaching English in a school, it was, you know, a regular government school, 
to elementary schoolers. And her, she said overall, the Chinese speak much better English than the Japanese. Mm-hmm. She's working in Japan now. Yeah. So that's all I know there. Okay. Yeah. I think also both the US and Japan have very. I mean, the Japan maybe. Japan notoriously has this. Uh, what do they call it? Homogeneity. Um, I think that's a word that's thrown around quite often. Uh, just between religion and race and language. Uh, and the US maybe the opposite of that, but the idea of like a national cohesion between like under being an American, I think is pretty strong in both cases. Um, Guess what? Japan's not actually homogenous. <laughs> yeah. Homogenous. Who would who would have guessed that a multi-million person country actually has division? There are indigenous people here too. Yeah. Hello, Ainu, people in the Ryukyu Islands, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, geopolitics is is perhaps outside the scope of this, but um I think both of these countries end up having this uh, this nationalistic idea, which I think probably furthers into into the culture of like language education and I don't know reaching out to other cultures versus just bolstering down your own. Um, and I wonder. So- the yeah, United go ahead. States does not have an official language. Yes, so I've heard. There is no official language, and um, everything in the United States for language education policy, it, there is no national curriculum. It's all left up to the individual states. Likewise, with um, documents being printed, some states have laws that they must be printed in English and Spanish, particularly states um, that, you know, have large populations of Hispanic people, like um, the states along the Mexican border and Florida, for example, um, do have those policies, but everything is left up to the individual states. Like the state I went to high school in, we only had three years of required foreign language study. Um, and we weren't able to start until the year before high school. High school in the United States is four years. Mm-hmm. So we were able to do a maximum of five years of foreign language study in public school. Um, but you only had to do three. Right. So, yeah, I, I've i noticed this as well with like, I mean, in South Africa, South Africa is like the inverse. Instead of having um, no official language, we've got 11, which is by no means the largest. I think... I think one of our neighbors actually tried to like pull a one up and like just have a, a slightly bigger number. But places like India have have an incredible number as well. Um, but that means eleven. Everything that is ever I don't know released publicly from like government office or whatever, um, any sort of official documentation has to be available in all eleven languages, which you know some are are way larger than the others, but. And I believe, I believe there are schools that would start like dual language from pretty early on. Um, I was, I'm an English native speaker, and I went to an English 
like school, both um, junior school and high school. And so usually if you're speaking English, I think pretty universally in South Africa, maybe there's an exception, but if you are, the second language of choice is going to be Afrikaans. Um, that's probably just the one that's that's offered up. Theoretically, I believe schools can choose which, like whatever language they want as a, a first additional language. Um, Afrikaans, like schools will often have English, so will most other languages choose English. But, you know, sometimes there are exceptions to this rule. Uh, but even so, I remember starting Afrikaans maybe around grade... I want to say probably five or something like that. So at this point, I am, I don't know, 11 or so. And we had then lessons right the way up until the final year of school. And Afrikaans, uh, you know, you have elective subjects in high school in South Africa, so you can choose sort of where you want to specialize into. But a certain number of them are mandatory. English, Afrikaans, some form of mathematics, of which there are a few, and um, some like general life skills. But even so, even having multiple years of, of Afrikaans as a subject, pretty much everyone I know in my high school, and at least in like the area of the city that I was in, who spoke English and had to take Afrikaans, um, their results were just laughable. Like coming out of their final exams, the last time they sort of had to do Afrikaans by any official capacity, most people could barely hold a conversation like they would they would they were just joking about reading you know a paragraph and just picking out individual words that they knew and not really having any form of um of use of the language and i get the feeling that is maybe you know the case in the u.s with spanish even though they only have to do three years it seems like a lot of people don't have the ability to actually speak it and I think this happens here in the Netherlands where people learn French or German, specifically French, um, where they just have like some amount of vocabulary and grammar, but no real ability to speak it. Um, what, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Like what's going on here that we subject kids to, you know, you know, if, if I sub like an adult and I sat them down, like, hey, we're gonna learn a language and you've got three years to do it. I feel like we could, get to a pretty decent level um and yet we we give the same time to children or even you know like five six seven eight years of a language and it seems like pretty globally people are just getting really terrible results unless that language is like the language of uh, a, a really big neighbor or like english which is like a global language and then i feel like a lot of people are learning it through other mediums, entertainment, or um, just having to speak to people online in different places, and so there's like some sort of lingua franca forms. You know, what's just going on with with high school second languages, and and why are, why is no one coming out with anything usable? A lot of reasons. Um, one of them is that people are afraid. And policy makers or politician who so students when you learn a second language a certain amount of infantilization has to come with it 
because uh, think when you learn your first language, there's gonna be plenty that you don't understand, and you're learning this from infancy, like babyhood. And there's plenty that you don't understand, and you make plenty of mistakes, and you're just okay with it because you're a kid, you don't know. But when you're learning a second language and you're older, like people don't like what they don't know, and like maybe after one or two years of study, you'll have the competency of I don't know, a three or four year old. And people don't like that. They're like, well, I'm not three or four years old. I'm 13 or 14 years old. And people don't like that. And so that that's part of it. Um, any questions so far? Um, I mean, I, f- I feel like that maps to, yeah, to what I've sort of experienced. I think okay. there are, you know, there's also some sort of... Um, Often maybe, maybe this is just purely ignorance or misunderstanding. You know, there's a lot of words in English which are actually pretty silly if we look at them literally, but we use them without really thinking. Um, And then I think when you get taught like a a word in a foreign language and it gets pointed out, uh, as an example, let's say the word for glove in Dutch, which literally translates to hand shoe, people just interpret that with like humor it's just it just becomes silly and that it feels like the other language loses some of its validity i don't know if that's just a, a pushback or like a coping mechanism for like oh i didn't really know about this and so i'm gonna use humor to maybe like somehow you know make this language seem silly um as like a, as a shield for for not knowing or maybe it comes from somewhere else i i don't know like some sort of national, not nationalism, but like linguistic pride. Yeah, I've heard a lot of foreigners in Japan just complaining about Japanese. I'm just like, get over yourself. Like, <laughs> that's like honestly like my reaction to that. But what was I going to say? I don't remember. That's fine. Next question. <laughs> Next question. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you feel like it's mostly just, mostly just fear? There's nothing like on a, on like a larger scale or maybe policy? Um, It's not mostly just fear, but also if you have, if you're not going to like, just the United States for example, if you're not going to have people learning until they're teenagers, teenagers are busy. Like, they have plenty of things to do. And if you start, like, draw, like, having them learn a foreign language, like, I think that the United States has only teenagers learn a foreign language. That's just, like, almost checking off a box. It's like, oh, yes, you teach globalization. We're fine. But no, they're really not fine. And <laughs> uh, it's, like, and it's, it's a poor attempt at teaching cultural competence is what I think mm. it is. It's, like, posturing um, towards it without really actually desiring you know, the end state of of a culturally competent populace. Yeah. Um, and then another issue is that, like, they start too late. Yes. Um, I think you, you, you were like, we should just move this all the way down as early as possible. Yeah. I, I very much agree. Um, yeah, I told you that before. Um, we definitely need to move it down. Um, do you feel like there will be some some pushback from, I don't know, I feel like parents. I don't know why, I just feel like 
telling them their young kid needs to do anything is just going to elicit some sort of reactionary response where it's somehow fine later on. Yeah, definitely just push pushback. And especially in the United States, of like, it's like, hey, like, you, if like, like, I've heard this before, of like people speaking not English in the United States, people be like, hey, if you're in America, speak English or speak American. Mm-hmm. It's like, get off your high horse. Like, have you actually like, have you actually heard that like in person? I know I've you know I've seen jokes and memes about that, but I, I is that something that actually happens? Uh, it does actually happen. Um, I it, I haven't witnessed it myself, but I know someone who is um, half Colombian and who is talking on the phone to his mom and who is out on a date or something, and that someone else was like, "Hey, like." You're in, you're in America, um, kind of thing. So I've, I've definitely heard plenty of cases of it happening. I've just never witnessed it myself. Um, back on the high schoolers thing, I just had to find this tweet. So Holy Weather, um, who's on Twitter, tweeted last night, asking the people of one culture to care deeply about another culture. Instead, it's like coercing a child who is really keen on dinosaurs into learning about Barbie dolls. And that is a lot of the issue, I think, of uh, foreign language education in the United States when you're, like, getting them, like, when you're not starting them until high school. Mm. Um, Because a lot of it, you'll teach culture with it. Like, there's always, you have to learn, like, language and culture. Um, And yes, there's context for language and culture. On the other hand, I never had any interest in learning culture when I was in high school. Absolutely none. I didn't care. Um, I was just like, nope, I want grammar, I want vocabulary, I want practical application, I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, festivals and all that, I was not interested. Um, I, I've since grown up, I now do care, but when I was in high school, I didn't care. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I feel like this is coming from someone who, you were still interested in the grammar and the vocabulary, but I, I knew people who were pretty hesitant to engage with the other language. Um, already with you know in any capacity vocabulary and grammar included um, but then asking them to look into the culture as well uh, that just seems like something that's kind of where that, that pride comes in um, yeah and I know like dinosaurs versus Barbie dolls exactly um. yeah and next like I was, I was saying Mexico here of course, it's not the only place that speaks Spanish, but I feel like that has the most direct contact with the U.S. Um, there has been, like, some tension with, like, I don't know, immigrant populations and, I don't know, even further back. But um, not something, like, super direct and outright. But I know there are other places, like South Africa, where culture, you know, that's a, that's a tough issue to get people to care deeply about when historically there have been some pretty nasty events related around different cultures and you know just I think this is probably applicable to other countries as well where you have to yeah look into like deeply respect something and you know deep deep respect is, is hard enough to come by with adults let alone your general population of kids who are probably interested in a lot of other things. 
Yeah, so to go back to talking about kids, um, definitely the best, like, you need to start them early, for sure. Um, Because also, they're going to pick it up the best if you start them early. Start them in, like, I don't know, first grade, even just an hour a week, and then by the end of elementary school, or I I would say one hour is 16 minutes, but, like, one class hour, maybe that's 45 minutes. Sure, And then um, by the end of elementary school, have them up to four hours a week. And then just... And then I would say that's your second language. And then the third language, they need to be starting that, like, once they, like, move into the next school, whether, like, you divide, like, primary, secondary school or, like, elementary, middle, high school, however your Mm -hmm. place divides divides it. But after six years, you start them in a a third language. Are you you advocating for definitely everyone goes into a third language? Yes. Yes? Yes. All right. Interesting. Two is I mean, I'm down with that, but I feel like it's okay. In the case of the United States, what would this, what would the third language be? I'm assuming something like French, perhaps. I feel like there's Canadian connections, no. but no, you would choose something else. No. <laughs> I'm an ant. Okay, so uh, I, all right, I am getting political now. I am an anti-colonialist in my language classroom. We have an anti-colonial classroom. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> So um, I was like, you know what? We're learning English here, but maybe you want to learn another language. What are some other languages you might want to learn? And I like wrote a bunch of them on the board, including QQ and people were like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, I don't get out. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like it's so easy to impress kids. Just get them interested, expose them. Um, and then I also like spoke Russian for them. Then a bunch of kids wanted to learn Russian. Like we have an anti-colonial classroom here. Yeah. Okay, I will slow down now. Um, <laughs> Are you um? So, would you would you give the kids choice in that third language, or would it be like, for example, maybe the local uh, First Nations or Indigenous language of that area, or would it more be like? Because I know you sort of said federalism is like the enemy of 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 this. If there was a national policy, maybe it would be mandated yeah, somewhere. Is the worst part of the United States. Um, <laughs> but... That's you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, um, definitely. Um, all right. I'm just going to, because I have an American passport, I will speak on how I think American foreign language policy should be done. feel like that's what um, it's there for, IMO. Yeah, um, I definitely could opine on some other countries, but I don't carry their passports, so I won't. <laughs> um, what are they? <laughs> So, yeah, United States, you're going to start learning Spanish in grade one elementary school. That That's my policy right there. Once you get to middle school, um, at that point, yeah, um, I think you can start giving other options. However, education funding in the United States is poor. And mm. it's not realistic to offer a bunch of different languages, um, like, nationwide just because like it like for example um some places they might have a large korean population so it might make sense to offer korean you know that'd be fun and cool um but other places they have no korean people and so you're not going to want to offer korean there so you can't say hey we're going to offer korean nationwide right um 
I would say you do like I think it'd be awesome to give um, some options like especially like once like kids get to be teenagers that's when they really want to have some agency and control in their lives they want to be able to be able to make their own decisions mm-hmm. and if kids get to choose what language they study then they're going to be more engaged with it um like there's there are plenty of cases of like people get into japanese popular culture and then they want to study japanese um likewise with english like plenty of people get into like american popular culture and then they want to study english kind of thing yeah so i would say um yeah i want to offer indigenous languages but the reality is that you know there's not gonna be any demand for it like you might have one person out of a thousand sure who yeah would do that and i don't like as important as i think language preservation is i don't think it's realistic to offer indigenous languages in schools in the united states ireland on the other hand i think it's great that they teach irish mm. in schools i learned irish when i was in school i went to regular old national school in ireland i didn't go to an american right. school or anything with other diplomat kids i think there's a uh, there's obviously already a difference like irish is something that unites like a whole country and whereas like with indigenous language in the u.s like certain languages like i'm sure navajo would have a way higher population of speakers than uh, I don't know some other group um, which m- might only have you know a couple thousand varies by location I think certain yeah. states have like a, a higher concentration of like reserves than other yeah I can imagine it just being just a giant mess whereas Ireland at least although you know even those projects have some issues like I believe the you know Cornish restoration and uh, Welsh whatever they call it the language institute for for wales um even they have issues with that and and they're just working with one language per country so um but what would be what would be your third choice i'm interested um i'm gonna give some choices um i think so you you would you would like like a small sample of choices like two or three options that they could go for yeah small sample of choices so you're you've already got your kids learning spanish no we're not going to teach them french um that's that's just colonial we're not doing that um if kids want to learn french great you know they can you know do duolingo or whatever yeah yeah. um but i think we should be offering chinese um mandarin chinese i would say um and even if you know mandarin chinese like all the chinese languages use the same writing system so it's gonna be easy enough to learn another one and then um japanese kanji are based off of chinese kanji so if you want to switch then that's you know going to give you a whole leg up there mm-hmm. um so yeah we're going to offer mandarin chinese we are also going to offer arabic i would say those two would be the best two to offer All right. and then um, maybe a something like hindi or russian i could imagine yeah i was also just thinking hindi russian or portuguese i think would be good um, I think Portuguese just geopolitically because of Brazil. Right. Um, but I would, and then Hindi really is only spoken in in on the Indian subcontinent. So I would offer Russian before Hindi or Portuguese. Definitely, I would offer Portuguese last. Yeah, and I feel like already if you've got a good Spanish background. That, um, Arabic and Chinese are very different 
from English and Spanish. Yeah, I believe they're level five on the U.S. military, uh, uh, whatever the hell's level four. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, Chinese is level five, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, like we're we're level enough here for the third language. Uh, yeah. You you gotta you gotta, gotta that step up. Here. I think and that's that's already very interesting. I so severely promote learning another language is oh i just got a dm loving the anti-french comments <laughs> thank you um, <laughs> um yeah, like you learn another language then you're going to be better at your first language i am so good at english grammar because i studied um spanish and then likewise because i studied russian japanese grammar was so easy for me russian and japanese have some similarities with grammar, yes. with their grammar structures, interesting. Yes, they both use case systems. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that would be very interesting for, uh, like you mentioned, like going to already like a category four or whatever language, um, just because you know like Spanish, it's different, of course. Like they have maybe a different verb order, and um, you know, there's a lot more conjugation on verbs and and whatever than English has, but. You know, then you introduce something like Arabic, where it's like, hello, surprise, uh, triconsonantal semantic root. Like, throw that into people. You know, I, I quite like languages and I poke around here and there, but it took me until I was like in my 20s poking around somewhere where I learned about the like semantic root system. And that really blew my mind when I learned about it. I just not really even considered languages that you know, went away from like a, um, a lexeme just attached with uh, affixes. And like that was just sort of all of the examples that I had in my head were just other Proto Indo European languages. So they all follow the same structure. And I kind of just like didn't even consider that languages would exist outside that space. Um, and then I learned about that now. That was just a really great moment where I was like, oh, this is the first time I'm encountering something outside that bubble. And now I'm aware of, like, this The space expands. And I'm just aware of, like, how many more possibilities could be in. Like, if we can change that and build language around it, like, what other things um, has language been built around in places that I'm not even aware of? Um yeah, I don't know, especially um, especially somewhere like I don't know Aboriginal Australia or the Amazon, like there could be really cool systems down there, and like that was a great moment, um, and I think it would be very helpful for you know if the general population had to already sort of learn Arabic, they would come in contact with something like that, and they would come in contact, you know, learning to to write Arabic includes a lot of um, interesting things on like how how we use writing systems, right? Like, it doesn't work the same way as the Latin alphabet. Um, it's not just, you know, it's not an alphabet, for one. And maybe these things are just not, you know, these are sometimes surprises for people who like language. For people who don't, that can help a lot with understanding the world around you where you realize, like, a lot of the things you're looking at just just could be pretty different. Um, yeah. Um, for sure. Um, definitely, like, languages that way does teach a cultural competency even just indirectly um it opens that window for you to be able to engage with another culture kind of thing um 
like I've you know met plenty of people who are like oh I want to you know watch you know whatever American popular thing is on TV but I just don't know English and I'm just like well then learn English like or just watch it anyway with subtitles assuming their subtitles are available but um on the topic of like um how learning one language makes you better at others actually come on maybe six months ago no more than six months ago last year before I moved Okay, so last year in I think August, um, we had this like random like Zoom reunion of my high school classmates and I that were in the Spanish program, and I was so impressed that like all of them spoke better English than my parents do, and my parents are native speakers of English, and I very much attribute that all of us speak better English not because our like English educations were better um, than my parents were, but because we learned um, another language. And by better English, I mean um, we were more grammatically correct mm. to be a prescriptivist. Um, <laughs> my, my parents make grammatical errors left and right, as do most native speakers of any language. Yeah, of course. But yeah. Yeah, I. I think that's just probably also down to a lot of like you don't really learn a lot of the systems um and then you have to because you'll get taught like the word for eat is this word and then you see it again and it's changed you know uh case because there's like two people now um yeah so you're like why is this different and then it's like oh this is a case system and you're like well what the hell is a case system um and then it's like well you know this is in the dative case and i'm like the hell does dative mean and you know yeah these things are really good for just like figuring out but when i was first learning russian um when i was you know being an edgy teenager i was teaching myself cyrillic instead of watching movies or whatever else i don't know can't relate Um, i wasn't doing i was doing stupid shit like that too as though I were four years old and learning English for the first time. And as soon as I figured that out, I was so much faster at learning Russian. Mm. I um I remember teaching myself uh, Hiragana, which I didn't use for literally anything, but I was working like some some job at a bookstore and it was really in a bad location and it was just getting less and less customers and there was this company policy where you like weren't allowed to sit down so i had this little load pad that i kept next to me and i was just writing like the characters over and over and like figuring out some sort of system which was you know pretty easy when it comes to hiragana it's just like a consonant and a letter and then they work in rows or columns um but you know just for fun and that was pretty easy and then sometime later some, a few years later, I was like, I should just learn Greek. Um, so I said, like, the first book I had, with, I had a bunch of examples in it. So I'm like, okay, I'll just fucking learn the alphabet, shall I? Uh, and so I set about doing that as well, and that was relatively easy. Of course, because we've got, like, some maths knowledge from and physics knowledge with certain symbols. Um, and, and that was pretty great. Um, when I was learning the Perso Arabic script, I was having a lot of trouble. Like I, I tried it three or four times maybe and just got nowhere. Like really not even past the first four characters. Uh, especially since every letter has like four different variants depending on its place in the sentence. And uh, and I remembered like I was just thinking back to learning Hiragana and I was like, I I just 
I did this. Like, I just put time to it, and I just remembered a certain form and, like, stuck it in my head and, and tried to figure out some sort of pattern of um, of what was going on. And and then it just sort of clicked, and I, and I in a few, in the space of a couple of weeks, I just memorized all of it. Um, and every time I look at Cyrillic, since there are quite a lot of people who use Cyrillic in our university, like either Bulgarian or Russian or whatever. Um, it's pretty great because I've never intentionally learned it, but there are just like a couple symbols that I know. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, backwards R is yeah. Like, I just know that because I think that one is from like a video game, but some of the other ones just come from like weird points. And then the rest of it is just like, Okay, this is Greek, so it either has the exact same Greek sound or like a slight variant, and then, or it's Latin, so I'm like kind of the same, or I have to remember like, these exceptions where I'm like, yeah, the O is. Yeah, so it was like between Latin and Greek, Greek, which I've never used, like I never, I never got around to learning the language. I just learned the script for no particular reason. So okay. between those yeah, I two, the Greek alphabet because I hung out in frat houses when I was an undergraduate. Ah, we don't have those type of things. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that's exclusively in America. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just got like these cough scripts in my head, and I have a lot of fun seeing Cyrillic, and then just like, I, I don't think I ever want to intentionally go learn it. I think I'm perfectly happy to just keep on seeing signboards or like clothing or like a music video or whatever with Cyrillic in it and then just having a little fun puzzle of like figuring out what I think it says and like getting the letters together and then just double checking and being like oh yeah I was pretty right and I hope I'll just like sort of remember a bunch of stuff like that um and I, I feel like I'm just content to learn Cyrillic that way um but yeah it's really fun and it helps it helps just with a lot of things, just the small little things that you don't really realize. Um, and I think that's really valuable for, I mean, maybe that can be said about a lot of things that you just sort of look outside of what you assume is normal and um, and then come to the realization. Relax my priors, bro. Yeah, <laughs> relax my priors indeed. <laughs> uh, I feel like that, uh, the price thing just seems, I don't know, somewhat opaque to me. I, I it, like, it makes sense, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if this is intentionally as, I don't know. I mean, I learned the term relax your priors from people who dropped acid, so... <laughs> okay, well, I feel like that maps pretty, pretty well to what I would expect. <laughs> I got another message. Okay, cool. All right. Um, well, DJ Microbees was listening in and just mm-hmm. like, just like, I'm off to bed. This is so cool. I wish I could listen to the rest. Cool. Well, we're like an hour and twenty in. I think we've covered quite a lot of ground, but I do potentially have more things. I mean, I feel like if I was not given a restriction, I could probably keep talking for a long time. I do but not maybe... give restrictions unless you give yourself a restriction. <laughs> but maybe that's just because I'm, I don't know, a Jabberwocky. So, 
yeah, I don't know how much I want to like touch on on previous questions, or we could just start riffing about whatever comes to mind. Hey, this is up to you. All right, we are here for you to grill me. <laughs> my brain. Sure. Um, like, see, I'm running the space, but that's just because you're a noob and don't have spaces. Well, listen, at Jack, I know you're filtering through this audio, my guy. First, listen, I've got some questions for you. Second, give me spaces, please. That'd be great. And if you can organize a vaccine, that would also be super sick. Um, all right, I have a, I have a question on here um, that might be pretty interesting about countries choosing additional languages. And we kind of spoke with that in the case of the US, um, but maybe this has a little bit of a different bend to it. Uh, and that is whether you think that that affects kids' perceptions of the world um, and like what's valuable or in vogue and I wonder if that's I wonder if that has any meaning at all maybe but I don't know maybe there are certain certain ways that we're moving culturally uh, purely based on the languages that we're exposing our kids do or that we talk about a lot or with any sort of frequency you know you had some pretty disparaging french comments which is maybe indicative <laughs> of this where french is you know french has a has a certain aura around it which you know i don't think it particularly should have or has earned but yet it persists um languages happen, happen to have this aura as, as well Notably Dutch, there's this, there's something I've noticed with Dutch people, which I've never heard in any other group of people I've ever met. If you speak to Dutch people, and, and this is, it's, is, it is anecdotal, but I feel like I've spoken to enough people who've expressed the sentiment that it's, it must count for something. And that is people who, Dutch people, who, who speak it natively, who straight up do not like their language, who have expressed a desire that if they could switch it for perfect English, they would give up their language, which to me is super surprising. Every other group of people I've met have always defended their native language. They've, they will tell me like, no, no, it's really beautiful in this way. Like you just need to see the poetry or, you know, it's got this great expression and there's some attachment to it. But Dutch people have sort of been the inverse and they're just like, no, I don't like this language at all. And often the idea comes from like, oh, it's, an ugly language or it sounds bad, it sounds like a throat infection. Um, and I wonder how much of that is just this cultural meme. Because, for example, Dutch has this ch sound, um, an alveolar fricative or a, a velar fricative, I believe. Um, velar. Don't. There, there are two because there's sort of, well, I think there's three really, but they're different regions. So one's more of like a he he which i think is your uh velar and i think the lvo yes. is the other one but listen i don't i the ipa chart scares me um so, okay. so, I, okay. so it's great but it's it's a whole nother realm which i am i am a little baby at so but other languages have the sound. Persian has it, Arabic has it, European Spanish has it, European Portuguese has it, um, Hebrew has it in, in spades, and, um, or at least the Ashkenazi version does. But 
um, I don't think any of those languages have the same idea of this just being like an ugly language filled with horrible, harsh sounds that Dutch does. Um, and so maybe these languages carry this idea with them, like French being romantic for some particular reason. Um, yeah, and I just wonder how much we're, we're setting some sort of course and some sort of perception on the world just purely based on the languages that we're exposing our kids to and choose to talk about, or at least choose to continue attributing some sort of value to. Yes. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Um, by, the, by the languages that we choose to present to kids in classrooms and whatever, and why we choose to present them and the motivations of that, it all boils back down to colonialism and um, like being patronizing almost. It's like, oh, we need to go learn, I don't know, Spanish to help poor kids in Guatemala who don't have hospitals and schools. Um, and like the whole missionary mindset of it. Like mm-hmm. a lot of, um, like the, the Bible is the most translated book. Right, yeah. And it's translated into all sorts of obscure languages because of the proselytization of Christianity and evangelization of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the languages that we present and why we present them definitely affects kids' perceptions of the world. Um, people need to understand and respect why they're doing something. So my high school teachers told us that we could greatly increase our incomes by knowing another language. Um, uh, and they told us about the different jobs associated with it. Um, I'm definitely, I could be making more money if I were not working in public education in Japan. Um, uh, but you know, I'm doing this because I want to. Right. I have a new coworker and he's telling Japanese kids about the different ways of using English, um, so that they're interested and engaged in learning English. One of his examples is computer programming. Computer programs are written in English. Um, but I've also met several people from Southeast Asian countries, and they electively study Japanese for their own job prospects. So a lot of it goes down to the framing. On another note, in the 1950s, so Cold War era, the United States government funded Russian studies programs in universities. And the idea was to learn the language of the enemy and get paid, not to appreciate Russian culture or anything. I and so, <laughs> I feel yeah. like this is a is a common thing. We were talking about the category four, category five thing a little bit earlier, and I believe that entire thing comes out of the military's grading for for training people who are going into foreign war zones. And I think a lot of the media, especially when I was looking to learn Persian, some of that stuff was just straight up the handbooks that they were having to prep people on for like entering. Afghanistan or yeah and I, I, like which is just wild to me because that's where like you know there's the funding to to actually collect this knowledge and it seems to almost be like a kind of the state of the art in a lot of ways um for certain books or just like huge corpuses of um uh I don't know resources videos just people pronouncing something over and over um and yeah it's it's all it's all war related uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah, um, it, it is all war related, but conversely, 
a lot of people want to learn Japanese because of Japanese popular culture. And yet there's this great history of the United States and Japan where there's the only atomic bombing incident in world history was when the United States dropped a few on Japan. Mm -hmm. But now it's all great and people want to learn Japanese and they think it's cool. Yeah, that's an interesting... I endorse the idea of wanting to learn Japanese because of Japanese popular culture. Do I think weaves are cool? No, not really. But, like, their motivation for wanting to do it, I respect that. I, I was thinking about this um, a couple years ago, and it, something hadn't clicked for me yet. And maybe it's pretty obvious in hindsight, but I was kind of wondering why Japanese had had this, like, you know... Japanese culture and anime and whatever that was popular in South Africa. I come to the you know I come to Europe to a couple of places. I live right on the border. There are, I have an English course, so there are people from all over Europe who who joined it. They were all into anime and Japanese culture, and it's like they speak English to a pretty good degree because they're in Europe and they need to communicate and internet and what what what. But then the next thing that they're interested in is in Japanese. And I was like, I don't know why this is the case particularly, but then it hit me that of all, like, of non-English speaking countries, the, the probably the largest thing, the largest outside influence is going to be English in terms of media and communication, which they often do learn. And then the follow-up one would be Japanese. And that case is for English speaking countries as well, where, like, what what foreign media is being listened to or or watched yet there's french music there are french films but are they being considered in any great capacity no but japan is like this developed powerhouse which is outputting like this huge amount of media and no real other country is both as developed and has as strong a media center as japan does um, South Korea is rising, I think, in that regard. In the in Definitely. the terms that so is China. Yes, yeah, so is China. Um, however, Japan and South Korea are both like U.S. allies with large military presence of the U.S. Whereas China is, quote unquote, like the rising enemy of the West. Um, so I think there's like an active. Mm, well, maybe not an active, but like a movement or just a, a hesitation to like adopt Chinese media or things that like portray China too positively. Like it seems in people's interests to import Korean or Japanese media into the West. Whereas like if you gave that to China, right, that's giving them some sort of cultural influence, which I think maybe the West is a bit hesitant to do. So I think that's stopping that. But these are like these are the only places which are really producing a bunch of content, and that content alone is enough to drum up the interests to to go study these languages and study the cultures, mm-hmm. and um, sure. which is just maybe just indicative of also how much that's been lacking for I don't know a century or so, perhaps longer, um, where there wasn't really there wasn't that space of just like something else like English was just producing enough stuff to keep people preoccupied at least in English speaking countries um yeah so maybe we'll see more diversity as as other players rise in that field but I wonder if there's something similar to like I don't know 
the Dunbar number where you can only keep so many relationships at once where like there's only so many cultural players that could have some sort of power at once that made people interested um, to the degree that people are like interested in K-dramas and K-pop and, and, and the same in Japan like I I don't think too many players could enter that space maybe they could but maybe I'm being pessimistic as well no I definitely think you're right like there's there's gonna be a competition it's gonna be survival of the fittest yeah unfortunately um, that does seem to be the case yeah yeah I also think it's uh, maybe circling back to what you said about um, people who maybe have like a missionary mindset and learning languages for that reason which I think this is an interesting thing to like the developing world especially Africa has this really interesting and precarious position with that to in order to gain some sort of like strength and and play it seems beneficial let's say places in like central or west africa to utilize french which links them together and create a stronger uh trade network and some link to the outside world but at the same time you know there's a bunch of problems with that um and places that are just like you know i mean i have a pet peeve about people I see this quite often in like I don't know Tinder or whatever where there's like a picture that is just thrown in there of some European who's gone to Africa with like posing with uh, a child while there and it always just strikes me the wrong way like absolutely puts my hackles raises my hackles Um, yeah like okay so I don't feel qualified to speak on much language stuff for the African continent um like i'm aware of it i would say much more so than 99 percent of americans but i don't feel qualified to speak on it i hope you feel more qualified than i do uh i mean sure like <laughs> there's there's stuff i know but you know i come from a country that already has 11 languages to deal with and then there's 54 other countries like my knowledge only extends so far as well Okay, like, I will say I'm much better at African continental geography than uh, anyone I've met who's not from Africa. (laughs) But (laughs) that's not here nor there. Yeah, Um, but it's a cool point. Like, I'll lock that down as a a plus point. Right, Um, but... Although, fun fact, I used to go to school with someone who is South African who used to believe that Russia was inside of Namibia. Interesting. Yeah. I don't really know what they were picturing in their head. I feel like... Okay. I feel like there wasn't any extra links of, like, territory or land. Rather some, like, nebulous concept of what a Russian must be and that that must be somewhere else and somehow the two were together. All right. Well, okay. So, to my point about language on the African continent. So, Africa was colonized by Europe. This is Uh, true. So a lot of, quote, official languages in many countries are European languages. But then there are many, many, many indigenous languages, including French, um, is one of the colonial languages there. And I said that 
the United States should not teach French because of colonialism. Um, and yet I am okay with them teaching Spanish, even though, yeah, like Spanish exists in Latin America because of colonialism. But yes, French is an official language in many African countries, but I don't know how many people really, like, of those countries, uh, they really speak French. Like, I feel like... A pretty significant portion. A pretty significant portion? Yeah, there are definitely people who who might speak it alongside another language, but Uh there are, there are also many people who, so firstly, I think that French is just, is pretty good as well. Um, I've met a lot of people from other countries, and um, they, their their French is like almost what they solely use. Uh, I I know in, in France as well. There's a lot of people who who've moved there for work as well, and it's sort of exclusively what what they use. Um, but the, it's not like um, it's not like sort of on the side, and they spend a lot of. I mean, there are definitely people who are using more of their indigenous language. Um, but there are people who also might just be almost monolingual in French at the same time. Okay. So it- so I bring that up because, like, if you if your motivation for learning another language is to go be a missionary or whatever, I think you'd be better received in another place if you were to learn their indigenous language, for not sure. the language of their colonizer. For sure. I mean. Yeah, like I think it'd be better received, but maybe that depends on how big your area of focus would be. Like if you're working with a village or maybe like a small region and that's sort of where you go, I think that would work for you. If you're working on maybe a provincial or national scale, um, I think French would probably suit you well. Um, Also because people are raised speaking French right from the get-go and um yeah I th- how you know. cringe would it be for me to roast my sister right now roast your sister go ahead yeah. she's not here oh yeah <laughs> that's right you know what she's not listening is she um <laughs> if you are don't no. just skip ahead 30 seconds yeah uh oh she's not listening I just checked but yeah, <laughs> I'll roast my siblings any day of the week like that's what siblings do um so my sister is in university now and when she went to university she wanted to do pre-medicine and then be a medical doctor and do doctors without borders but you know what doctors without borders is a french organization you need to speak french for that but this child was never studying french to my knowledge to this day she has yet to study french i don't know if she still wants to do doctors without borders or what her deal is but yeah <laughs> that's, what that, that, that's a problem for a later date i think this a university procrastination. I'll get to it when I get to it thing. Yeah, uh, but she's you know she's about to graduate, so I don't know. What I, I guess that depends on how <laughs> how strong that dream is. Um, yeah, maybe maybe she just changed her dream. That's okay. <laughs> Let, let's jump away from geopolitics for a second and speak on a fun point. You were speaking about the Bible being the most colonized book. Um, that's the most colonized book. I mean. <laughs> Perhaps as well, yes. but uh, the most translated book. Uh, I'm sure you are, but are you aware of all the interesting, like, weird localizations and translations that the Bible has been subject to in certain areas? Um, I am aware of, like, the King James Version, like, basically made it, 
like to exalt King James? Uh, no, what, what I mean more about this is like, uh, for example, I want to say it was when it was being translated into Inuktitut, but maybe it was a different language. But I think there's been multiple cases of this, and I, I don't know the specifics. But for example, there would be, a, there's a lot of um, metaphorical language, right? So they would describe Jesus as like the lamb. Now, that's fine and dandy in like the Middle East and Europe where people know what a lamb is, but the Inuit don't know what a lamb is, or at least didn't at the time when they were translating the Bible. They had no context for that, so they needed to choose a different animal. So Jesus became a seal, right? Oh. <laughs> and there are many examples of this where just certain cultures are completely like the desert, right? Um, if you live in the middle of a rainforest and you, your tribe has been there for thousands of years, you don't really have good context for what a desert environment means, as in, like, there is no vegetation around and Jesus was starving. Um, uh, all these other little pieces of metaphorical language where um, animals or natural events that happened needed that were very specific to like a Middle Eastern context but understandable at least from a European one uh, all of these had to just like at the time and it was really just down to the to the people who were writing it which were often these contingents of like Jesuits or whatever and they had like you know maybe one or two priests who were learning the indigenous language and then working on the translation and they would they sort of just had the um the wherewithal or the kind of authority to to come up with whatever they saw fit because it was in their mission to just get a bible out um and there's just some amazing examples of of the choices that they had to make in order to make that happen it's really humorous to go to go look through it. I I'm not familiar with Jesus being called a seal, but that is absolutely hilarious, and it's... I can certainly <laughs> imagine the many issues of that. <laughs> it's fantastic, like just things I've also you know not thought of that I'm like, oh yes, of course, like how is all of this taken across, you know? At least Islam can be like, no, sorry, you know, this is in Quranic Arabic and we're going to keep it in that and, you know, so be it. Learn the language if you want to read it. Um, although I believe there are like colloquial translations, but the official version. Um, although what I also find fascinating is apparently Thai um, has not undergone changes to its script for a couple hundred years although the written language like the sounds of the uh, I want to say letters maybe they're I don't think it's an alphabet perhaps it's a abjad or whatever that's not really the point but the sounds that um, let's just say letters represents um, has has morphed pretty significantly during that time, but the writing is the same. So it makes it very 
like I mean you think English is bad with words that just no longer like spelling that no longer affects the pronunciation but apparently it's it's pretty noticeable in Thai um, but the upside of this is that they still have a direct connection to you know any sort of literature that was written um, or scripture in old temples that is like carved into the roof and what have you um, that is all still perfectly readable because it hasn't gone up it hasn't been subjected to any updated spelling reforms or whatever um, and I just think that's really fascinating that like because English has a problem where both the pronunciation is shifted and the spelling is shifted and so you know anything over a couple of years is pretty difficult to discern for the average speaker um, it's just fascinating different the different ways languages handle like that sort of progression I don't know anything about Thai but okay <laughs> I mean other like like you know English yeah. changes things uh, Dutch updates frequently Arabic has this yeah, like oh well yeah Japanese is interesting Ah, right, yes. <laughs> Already multiple scripts at once, so... I yeah, and then there's also classical Japanese that um, high schoolers have to study. And, oh, really? Um, the, the Chinese characters, the kanji, they've been changed over time as well to be simplified. Um, so th- that, um, I'm not really certain of the details of this, but I know there's like the the traditional set that is used, I believe, mainly in, like, Taiwan, and then the simplified version, which I think is used in the mainland. But the kanji that are derived from that set in Japan, they were derived from the more traditional set, right? Like, it was still quite a while back that there was that split? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So they just went uh, sort of under, like, underwent their own metamorphosis in that time. Yes. Hmm. Yes. I've heard Korean also has some form of Chinese characters that they used. I mean, mostly it's written in Hangul now, but I believe certain yeah, literature. The yeah, I, I think some sort of classical literature still has it, and it crops up maybe in some cultural contexts. I don't want to say names, but maybe names of like certain things where it still floats around. Um, and I. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Maybe they had their own metamorphosis, but uh... oh, did you drop? Oh no! Uh, okay. I think my thought it's just ended. My thought just ended at that point, and uh... oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, but I just think it's so. Any other questions? Any other questions? I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm at a pretty good. I've done a lot of talking. Perhaps you've done a lot of talking as well. Um, so I'm feeling pretty happy to maybe wrap it up here. Okay, let's end the space. Let's end the space. I hope you have a good post-earthquake day. Thanks. Yeah. Always nice to wake up at 3.10 in the morning because your apartment is shaking. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. End yeah. the space. Have a good Five, day. Four. Three. Two, one. Thanks for listening.